I don't know if any of you uh, have recently looked at the oak tree in the front garden of Rycroft. The tree, of course, is uh, there, but it's not much there. It's not that it's turned invisible, but 18 months ago, it was cut down, you know. But there is a stump, you know. What was, I don't know, probably more than 30 foot, is now not much more than 30 millimetres. Now, it's low to the ground, cut down. And when you look at the top of it, when it was first cut, it was lovely. It looks a beautiful piece of oak. You know, and you could see all the circles and all the, all the rings. And uh, it had lovely pale bits in between and then a sort of orangey ring and then another pale bit and an orangey ring and so forth. You know what a tree looks like when it's cut. But now that it's been stood there, exposed in the elements, it's kind of black and cracking and a bit slimy if you go to step on it because it's been raining. It's a bit slippy. And, uh, and there's, you can see a hole about that size, you know, a few, a um, couple of inches across maybe, which was a rotten bit in the trunk. And of course, that's why the tree was cut down, because it was rotten in the trunk, it was rotten in the branches. And we had that concern that uh, it would drop on some unsuspecting passerby a lump of wood. It missed me by about six inches one time when it dropped. A bit, I don't know, uh, uh, a bit, about a foot long maybe, splatted on the pavement next to me. And I went, ah, that's why I usually go across the garden rather than down the pavement. The tree was rotten. We didn't want the limbs falling, and so the tree was cut down. King David's line, the line from the shepherd father Jesse, was rotten too. The kings descended from Jesse, from David, from Solomon, and became wayward as time went on. And they got worse. And they got worse and they did not listen to the prophets. And it was time for them to be cut down, to be chopped. Not because they were a danger to pedestrians on the high street, but they were a danger to the people of Judah. And the reign of the Davidic kings of Jerusalem was terminated by the invasion from the north and the start of the exile. But there was a remnant of the people as many were taken to exile. There would in the land be a stump. 
there would be something remaining. And the prophet Isaiah has been warning of the coming downfall of the people and of the king. He's been saying in the chapters before this that there will be a stump. That the nation will be brought down to size. But in our passage tonight, he says that although brought down to size, there's going to be a hope. A hope for the time of dismay which hadn't yet started. A hope for a time that the people still weren't really worried about. Because who does think about hope when you're actually going through a good time? While you're happy and content in yourself, you start to become reliant on yourself. And this, of course, was the issue with the kings. I mean, which football fan would want to hear of a future promotion to the Premier League if they were already in the Premier League? You know, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Which one of us would want to hear that in the future they will be out of debt if your bank account just now is already healthy and in balance. Who, having stuffed themselves with Christmas dinner, wants to hear of there being five Brussels sprouts, four roast parsnips, three honeyed carrots, two bowls of stuffing, and a partridge with a pear sauce still through in the kitchen waiting to be eaten. It's not what you want to hear. You're fine, you're full, you're happy. But yet the promise comes of a new king, a king with the old root of Jesse, but not a branch of the rotten trunk. It's a fresh sprouting. A fresh shoot, free of the disease of the sin of the past. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in who God is. His every breath. His gasping will be in the fear of the Lord. And this nature of this new shoot, this son of Jesse, is, uh, is quite different from the kings before. Too often the wealthy or powerful trust in their own strength to get things done. Human wisdom, learned knowledge, the ideas and counsel of others are all fallible. They all have error that creeps in. And whoever on Friday morning this week takes the office of the First Lord of the Treasury and so becomes Prime Minister. However big or small their majority may be, or maybe their coalition, 
they will only be able to govern based on their level of wisdom, their knowledge, and the advice that they receive. And that's true for every prime minister, every president, every prince, every queen, every king. For each and every earthly ruler, they're only as good in power as their ability to think, to plan, and to work with those around them. But the promised royal branch in Isaiah 11 is not going to rely on a frail human ability to do things, but will have the Holy Spirit resting upon them. And so we'll be able to divinely rule as no other rules. Free of flaw, their rule will be perfect. And the methodology of rule too is quite a contrast from that that has appeared on earth before. Remember the word of God through Samuel to the people when they wanted a king. In 1 Samuel 8, we hear how kings take your wealth. They take off your crops. They take off your animals, even of your children. And it's not for your gain that they take those things. They take it for themselves, for their own profit. But here, however, comes a new rule and a new way of rule, not of greed, but of righteousness and justice. The promised one will give decisions for the poor of the earth. It's a new world order where the powerful are no longer able to ride roughshed over the powerless, but will instead, the new ruler, will slay the wicked with the breath of his lips. They will be cut down by the word of God the very word he speaks. And this new king also heralds the arrival of a new kingdom, which to ears may bring a sense of the early days of Eden, God's creation perfected. It all lives in harmony. There is no sin and no fear of danger from any predator, for there is a perfection of peace reigning across the earth. You know, I kind of wish that, uh, as well as the fiberglass calf that I took into church this morning, that we'd had in the stable, that we also had one of a wolf, you know, to bring in here and, and give that harmony. That, uh, that we could have 
calf and sheep and bear and wolf and viper and small child and each created being living in harmony with one another. It said as uh, exploration um, started around the world uh, in sort of the uh, 16th, 17th century thereabouts, as uh, new islands were discovered, the animals in their curiosity would come to meet the humans who would then eat them. There was no fear of what humanity would bring to their land. That's part of the issue with the dodo. They would come along and go, okay, human. And human would have a tasty snack, having been at sea. And so the island of Mauritius soon became deprived of the dodo. Those predator issues will not be an issue. And we see instead that the concept of God's holy mountain, the place of God's presence for Moses to attend and receive instruction, or in later days, the, the concept of the temple, the home of the ark of the covenant, the, the place of God's presence, is no longer a geographically isolated location. That the presence of God is known throughout the earth. The knowledge of the presence of God, just as the oceans and seas surround and cover the globe, so will God's ways be known and lived. From this, we can see that although the promised shoot came to be born, the Christ, Jesus, the promise is not yet complete. For that worldwide reign is not yet seen. Every knee doesn't bow before him. But yet a time will come when all will be reconciled through him. And this leads all to turn and be rallied to him. Just as A banner calls an army to gather and the selection of troops to be in one place, just as that happens. So the shoot of Jesse will call humanity to rally into peace. Not to rally by physically travelling to a geographic location, but spiritually rejecting the evil one and putting their whole trust in the Lord. If we 
have already seen that banner. And if we've already seen something of the shoot that is a rod of Jesse, if we already bend the knee, if we already know that Jesus is our hope, then it is right that now, awaiting for the fullness of the kingdom, we must act in ways of love that indicates there is a presence of the kingdom already here. We are each ambassadors of the kingdom, branches of the royal branch. We have the Spirit with us because it came at Pentecost. We have the Spirit upon us to guide us, to strengthen us, to lead us, to produce fruit that is good. So may we this Advent tide, this Christmas and beyond, be thinking of how we may live with justice and with righteousness. And may our decisions, our words, our actions be not our own of that human frailty, but be those revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, which has come and descended into our lives. May this be our hope and our way. Amen.